If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Okay. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For the word of the cross is folly. Another word for folly is foolishness. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen. The same message that sounds foolishness to the world is the same message that is the power of God in your life. Same message. You know, back in 2012, I, I had an encounter with the Lord. And since then, since then, I've been preaching and teaching about the message of the cross. Since then. Uh, and I can tell you, 10 years is not enough to unveil what the Lord has done on the cross. There is so much treasure, so much wealth of what the Lord has done on the cross. 2,000 years of preaching the gospel has not been enough. For us to even understand. So when you're sitting here, don't think, don't assume that you know what Jesus has done on the cross for you. Don't assume. Let me share a verse that Paul said to the Corinthians. He said, if you think you know, then let me tell you, you don't know as much as you ought to know. Okay? Because, see, see, the problem is, the moment we come in this attitude that I know what Jesus has done, you're not able to receive. Okay, so sit here like a child, in a childlike attitude. Lord, I'm here to receive. Amen. Today, I just want to talk to you about what Jesus has accomplished on the cross for us. And what Jesus accomplished on the cross is not a big thing. It's not, sorry, it's not a small thing. It's a big thing. And what Jesus accomplished on the cross is not just forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins, yes, absolutely. We have been redeemed from the power of sin. We have been redeemed, our sins have been forgiven, but that's not it. There's more. There is more. Paul says the message of the cross, the message, the good news of the cross, it's a good news. The good news of the cross is power of God unto salvation. It is power of God. For those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It, it seems foolishness to the world because it's illogical. Think about it. Cross, 2,000 years ago, if you ask somebody, what's the first, first thing that comes to your mind when, when you hear the word cross, everybody would say death. Death, curse. Because cross was a symbol of the most torturous punishment that ever existed in the face of the earth. The Romans came up with the most advanced technology to kill people and that's the cross. The most advanced technology because it doesn't kill you right away. It kills you very slowly but very painfully. With every breath that you take, you experience more pain. That's, that's the cross. Cross, the symbol of death. If Jesus could redeem that, now when you think about the cross, you don't think about death. You think about life because Jesus redeemed that. So Paul is saying the message of the cross is foolishness to the world because just the symbol itself looks death. It's a symbol of death. But that message for us, it is a power of God. It is a power of God to those who are being saved. Amen.
Now, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And even as we read these verses, I want you to understand the message of the cross is not, it is not talking about something that you need to do. It is talking about something that has been done for you. Again, the message of the cross is not about what you can do for Jesus. It is about what Jesus has done for you. If you don't know what Jesus has done, you can't do anything for Jesus. Unless you don't realize, unless you don't grow in the knowledge of what Jesus has already done for you, you and me cannot do anything for Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. What does it say? For our sake... He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin became sin. He did not become a sinner. He became sin. The thing that qualified you to be a sinner, he became that qualification. What qualifies us to be a sinner? Sin. He became sin. He became sin so that what qualifies God to be righteous, you could become that. See, he, he did not become a sinner and you become righteous. He became the qualification that makes a sinner so that you and me becomes the qualification that makes God righteous. The very same measure by which God is recognized as righteous, that measure of righteousness has, has become you. <laughs> Amen. Can you imagine what this means? Like when you, when you look at God and you see that he is righteous, the measure, the qualification that makes him righteous, that qualification, you have become that qualification. How? Doesn't make sense. Exactly. Doesn't make sense. It doesn't need to make sense. Message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It doesn't make sense. How did Jesus, who knew no sin, could become sin? How did Jesus? On the cross, a divine exchange happened. There was a divine exchange. He took your sin and he gave his righteousness. A divine exchange happened. So the moment you believe in Jesus, amen, you say yes to the finished work of Christ, you have become the righteousness of God. Just like that. Just like that. It's a free gift. Righteousness is not something that you earn for. Righteousness you freely receive by believing what Jesus has done on the cross. You just freely receive. Freely receive. Say with me, freely. Freely. You know, when Jesus was put on trial and he was in front of Pontius Pilate, there was another prisoner by the name of Barabbas. His first name is also Jesus. So Jesus Barabbas, he is known to be a notorious prisoner. He was a bandit. In fact, he was caught for murder uh, because there were a group of Jews who rebelled against the Roman Empire. They, they stirred up an insurrection. And this Barabbas, he murdered somebody and he was caught. And now Pontius Pilate asked the Jews, hey, 
Whom do you want to be set free? This Jesus who is innocent, who has not committed anything, or this Barabbas who has committed a murder, who is known to be a bandit, who is known to be a criminal for his activities. And the entire crowd, they shouted and they said, let Barabbas go. In fact, they said, let his blood be upon us. That day, Jesus was crucified and Barabbas was set free. Jesus, the innocent, was crucified. Barabbas, the criminal, was set free. Just like that, when you and me believe in Jesus, just like that, you and me are set free. He was crucified for our sin. Amen? Now, you have to understand this. When Jesus died, he became sin. He did not become our trespasses. He did not become, you know, you know what, what a trespass is? Murder is a trespass. What sins that you commit in your body, commit through your body is a trespass or is a transgression. The word is trespass or transgression. So the sins that you commit in your body, that is not what Jesus became. So everything that you do through your body, an act of sin that you commit is known as a trespass or a transgression, which is also known as sins. Murder, committing adultery. Um, I don't know sins, so guys, help me out. Uh, lying, stealing, right? Pride, yeah. All of these things are trespasses, transgressions. But every, behind every act of sin is a thought. How many of you act without thinking? If you do, oh man, you need more help. Uh, there's, there's a thought behind every act. A behind every sinful act is a sinful thought. And that sinful thought in the Bible is called as iniquities. So the moment you have determined in your mind, oh man, I'm going to, I'm going to do this evil thing, it's an iniquity. Just like David saw Bathsheba. Huh? Bathsheba, yeah, it's in the name. Huh? David saw Bathsheba and he decided in his heart to do what he wanted to do. That was iniquity right there, right? So Jesus did not become your transgression. Jesus did not become your trespass. Jesus did not become your iniquity. So trespass and transgression is something that is done through your body. Iniquity is done through your mind. Jesus became sin, which goes even much more deeper. Sin is separation from God. He became the very separation from God that leads us to think like this evil. Here's the thing. Did Adam commit sin first and then he got separated? Or was he separated from God and then he committed sin? See, it, it looks like Adam was not supposed to eat from this tree and he eats from that tree and then he was separated from God. But I want to suggest to you that he was separated from God first and then he sinned. How do I know this? I don't have time to go through scriptures, but I, I believe that you'll trust me and you'll do your own research, okay? Now, 
In Genesis chapter 1, when God creates the entire universe, the word that is used for God is Elohim. What's the meaning of Elohim? Lord God Almighty. But in Genesis chapter 2, when God interacts with man, he begins to talk to man, he does not reveal himself as God. So in fact, whenever you see the interaction between God and Adam or God and Eve, you don't see the word Elohim, you see the word Yahweh Elohim, which in your English Bible is translated as Lord God. Yahweh Elohim. What's the meaning of Yahweh Elohim? Yahweh Elohim Elohim means almighty God. Yahweh means I'm a covenant-keeping God. I'm a relational God. So in fact, when God introduced himself to Adam, he said, I am the almighty, all-powerful God who created the entire cosmos in six days, but to you, I'm a covenant-keeping, I'm a relational God. I'm not just a God who does these amazing things. Yes, I am all of that, but to you, I would like to be related in a relational manner. Through intimacy. So how is Adam supposed to know God? Relationally, intimacy. So the name that God revealed to Adam was Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh Elohim. Now look at the temptation. Now see this, Genesis chapter 3. Come with me. Genesis chapter 3. Are you with me? Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now here's the thing. When the serpent brings the name of God, he addresses God. He does not use Yahweh Elohim. He addresses Elohim. Are you seeing this? And then look at Eve. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said. If somebody comes and tells me, my father's name is Vergis Thomas. If somebody comes and tells me, hey, is Pastor Vergis Thomas going to be there for that meeting? How I'm going to respond back is, yes, my dad is going to be there for the meeting. Why? Even though they know him as Pastor Vergis Thomas, how I relate to him is as my dad. Ideally, Eve should have said, Lord God said, you're not supposed to eat. But what she did is she followed the same pattern that the devil is putting on her. Because the devil wants you to know or wants you to think that you are separated from God in your mind. So he is bringing this thought, hey, that Elohim, the almighty God, did he tell you? What is he doing? Just with that statement, he's creating a separation in her mind that God is not relational. He is almighty, he's all powerful, but he's not relational. So he's creating a separation in your mind. And then from there on, it's downhill. It's all downhill. Separation with God happens first and then comes the evil thought and then comes the action, the trespass, the transgression. Jesus died for that sin. 
the identity that told you that you are an orphan the identity that told you that you are separated from god and there is nothing that you could do to be reconciled to the father he died for that identity he became that identity that identity of sin when he became the identity of sin that's when he looked at at heaven and said my god my god why have you forsaken me till that time jesus has never addressed god as god he has always addressed god as father but once in his lifetime when the entire sin of the universe comes upon him he becomes the identity of sin the first time he addresses him as god why have you forsaken me so jesus did not become your transgression he did not become your sinful thought he become that very identity that very identity of separation that very identity that separates you from god the father why so that we could have the identity that we are one with him righteousness is an identity that we have it's an identity it's like no matter what i have done i will always remain the son of my father it's an identity that you have righteousness has become your identity he who knew no sin he took your identity to give him to give us your his identity he gave us his identity just like that he gave us his identity so that we could become one with him now you are the righteousness of god now what does that mean what that means is in fact roman says like this you are slaves of righteousness you are prisoned in righteousness meaning think about this before jesus if a sinner did something good would he would he be known as righteous for example if a beggar he wears the clothes of a royal emperor will he become an emperor he'll still be a beggar that's his identity if a lion pretends to be a cat he'll still be a lion similarly if a sinner as much as righteous acts he did through the body he'll still be identified as a sinner that's his identity we were slaves of sin but now we are slaves of righteousness do you know what that means that there's a possibility that you can walk out of your identity and do crazy things but you still be known as righteous that's the gift that we have received in jesus freely say with me freely 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 he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of god in christ jesus amen now i want to show you three things that happens due to righteousness when when adam sinned in the garden you see these consequences of sin that is happening one the earth became cursed so he began to live in an atmosphere that was cursed second because of the cursed atmosphere he had to 
work by the sweat of his brow that means now stress has come in the picture unless you're not stressed out you're not going to make money so poverty has hit the market now so he is cursed he's he's struggling through curse he is stressed out he is poor and as a result sickness has come into the world so sin the consequences of sin one ad one man's sin resulted in death and the consequences are sickness curse poverty demonic oppression stress all all that you can think of are the consequences of that sin now see uh, turn with me to isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 Isaiah chapter 53 was 5 it says but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities do you see the word transgressions and iniquities i bet you understand this now transgression means sins committed by your body acts of sin iniquities are thoughts upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed so jesus was pierced crushed wounded so that you and me can have peace well-being and healing he was pierced wounded crushed so that we could have peace well-being and healing do you see that the next one galatians chapter 3 verse 13 to 14 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith what does it say Jesus became curse so that we could receive the blessing Jesus became curse so that we could receive the blessing what happened earlier isaiah 53 was 5 says he was wounded he was pierced he was crushed so that we can receive healing here it says jesus became cursed so that we can have the blessing so whatever adam did jesus is undoing all of it he's undoing all of it in fact romans chapter 5 says if adam could do this much much more has happened in christ So Jesus God was not just balancing the books he just did not go through the books and see oh this is a loss that was created by Adam let me just balance the books through Jesus he did much more much more he did not just balance the books you are in profit my friends because in Christ he did much more much more if sin has so much of impact and effect on the world how much more the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ much more much more The next one I want you to see is 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 which says for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich Christ became poor on the cross so that you by his poverty can become rich That's good news my friends Good news Isaiah chapter 61 says the spirit of the lord is upon me and he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the what 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 is good news to the poor 
what can be good news to the poor? It's not about just going to heaven. Oh man, you're poor. Yeah, just, just somehow survive this earth and then you'll get to heaven. That's not the good news to the poor. The good news to the poor is that Christ who was rich, he became poor so that in his poverty, you and me could become rich. So what are the things that happened when Jesus became sin and you became the righteousness of God? He was wounded, pierced, crushed so that we can have healing. He was cursed so that we can have the blessing. He became poor so that you and me can... Oh man, you guys are ashamed. You and me could become rich. If you don't like to become rich, please don't get to heaven. Because the Bible says, you know, even the roofs, the streets are made of gold. Yes, you Pentecostal Christian. <laughs> okay, so are you loving this? Now, today I just want to focus about, I just want to focus on receiving divine healing. Receiving divine healing. Now, you heard in Isaiah 53 verse 5 that Jesus was wounded, pierced, beaten, crushed so that you and me in his wounds can find healing. There is a reason why Isaiah is describing what happened on the cross. In fact, if you read Isaiah 53, it talks about the anguish of Christ on the cross. There's, there's a huge description. Why would, why would the Holy Spirit inspire Isaiah to prophetically write about what happened on the cross? Because there's something so powerful that when we meditate on what Christ has gone through, we find healing. There's a story in the Old Testament when the Israelites were in the wilderness, they had just got out of Egypt. They were in the wilderness, you know. And as usual, which was like their uh, pattern, they started grumbling and murmuring. And when they were grumbling and murmuring, fiery serpents came into their tent. And what do serpents do? They're not good pets, you know. They start biting. So when fiery serpents came inside, they started biting. And these people came came to Moses and said, hey, help us out, do something. And this is the instruction that Moses got from the Lord to build a bronze serpent. To build a bronze serpent. And the instruction was, whoever would see the bronze serpent, they would be healed. Now, first of all, bronze serpent doesn't make sense. If it was a dove, I get it. If it was... You know, a, a better animal, I get it. But a bronze serpent, the same serpent that was biting them was the same symbol that had to be erected and these people had to see the bronze serpent. In fact, Jesus in John chapter 3 when he is talking to Nicodemus, he tells him, just like the bronze serpent was lifted in the wilderness by Moses, Will the son of man be lifted up? Meaning, when that bronze serpent was lifted, that was typifying Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, he who knew no sin, became sin, the bronze serpent. So that when we see the bronze serpent, we become healed. We become healed. 
There's something powerful about meditating on the cross, on what Jesus has done, on what Jesus has gone through, that we begin to find our healing. Here's the thing. <laughs> Have you ever woke up in the middle of the night and without switching on your switching on the lights, you you try walking and then you hit your small toe somewhere at the edge of the bed, right? Have you had that experience? It's lovely, right? When you when, when the pain strikes you, immediately your consciousness is on that pain. Till then, you didn't even, you you were not even aware that you had a little toe, right? None of us were aware. But the moment pain strikes a body, that body member comes onto spotlight. <laughs> Isn't that true? Because pain brings that into spotlight. Now think about this. When these fiery serpents, they came inside the tent of the Israelites and they're being bitten, the instruction is, don't put your consciousness there, put your consciousness on the bronze serpent. How do you do that? The instruction was for those who were bitten. That means the biting has already happened. It's paining. So if you need to be healed from the snake's biting, what should you do? Look at the serpent. Your entire consciousness is on the pain. You're walking like this. But the instruction is if you see the bronze serpent, you shall be healed. There's something about moving your consciousness from pain and to see that pain put upon Jesus. And it's in that movement of that consciousness that you begin to find healing. That's why Isaiah says he was beaten, he was bruised, he was crushed so that in his wounds we are healed. When your little toad gets hurt, if you can see, if you can move your consciousness that Jesus was hurt, Jesus was hurt, his, his fingers was pierced, his hands were pierced, his you know, nails went through his feet and his side was pierced, he was crushed, he was beaten, he was lashed. When you meditate on that, something happens to your body. Your body begins to heal. You know why? Because you're basically declaring that whatever pain I am going through has already been taken care of on the cross. This is completely illegal. It cannot happen to me again. Have you heard of the term double jeopardy? Double jeopardy is if someone is already, if someone has already been condemned for a criminal act, he can be condemned for the same act. Meaning, if Jeremy was caught for something and he was punished for five years of jail, he can't be punished for that same crime again because he has been punished already. Just like that. The, the consequence of sin that we had to take, we no longer had to take because Christ has done upon himself. It's double jeopardy. So every time you meditate on the cross, on what Jesus has done, what you're doing is this sickness is illegal because Jesus has already died on my behalf. This has already happened. Amen. You know, last week, Betty was sharing this testimony with me 
that in the night she was having immense back pain. And women, this is for you if you're having immense back pain. She was having immense back pain in the night and she started meditating how Jesus was whipped. How Jesus was, you know, there were stripes on his back because of those whip. And those whips were not, you know, they were not pretty looking. They, they had thorns and balls at, at the end. It was painful. It would, it would by, by every whip, the flesh was being torn. So she was meditating, you know, I'm having this back pain, but she was meditating, you know, on by his stripes we are healed. And she was meditating how Jesus was whipped every single time, every single time. And she said to me in the morning that as she was meditating, immediately, immediately the pain left. Immediately. I'm telling you, there's something about when you move your consciousness, oh, I am this, I am a sinner, I am going through this, I have this sickness, I have this pain. When you move your consciousness from what is happening within you and you look at Jesus and you see Jesus suffering, suffering that same pain, suffering that same ordeal that you are going through, your body begins to restore, begins to heal. Amen. In fact, can I tell you this? You know, by his wounds we are healed. Uh, but, but some translation says wholeness, well-being. You know what's the difference between healing and wholeness? The difference between healing and wholeness? Let me tell you a story. There, was, there were 10 lepers who came to Jesus. They were lepers. You see a leper, you know that they're lepers. Very evident. You can't hide leprosy. And Jesus heals them. And when Jesus heals them, in the Jewish culture, when a person is healed of leprosy, they have to go to the priest to show that their leprosy is gone so that the priest can, can give them permission to go back and live in their community. Without the priest's permission, they can't go back into their communities. So Jesus healed the lepers and Jesus said, now go and show to the priest. So all 10 of them, they are going and showing to the priest. Why? Because they are healed. But as one, one of the leper, as he is walking, he sees he's completely healed. He goes back to Jesus. Instead of going to the priest, he goes back to Jesus. He starts worshiping him. And Jesus says, weren't there 10 lepers who were cleansed, but only one has come? And then he says, May you become whole. Out of the 10 lepers, only one became whole. Everybody else got healing, only one became whole. What's, what's the meaning about healing and wholeness? Healing means the moment Jesus healed them, leprosy went out of their system. But the thing about leprosy is while it is in the system, it robs your body of certain body parts. You know, people lose their nose. People lose the tip of their fingers. So these people who are healed, they still have body parts that are missing. They were healed. Yes, they were healed. Leprosy went out of the system. They were healed. But only one got restored. Every body part that was lost in the sickness was lost during the sickness. It was restored completely. You know what wholeness is? Wholeness is that you are healed and restored to a point that it does not even feel that there was any trace of sickness within your body. That's wholeness. So Jesus saying, not Jesus, Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, that in his wounds we are not just healed, but we are restored back to wholeness. 
wholeness. Anything that the sickness has taken from your body, anything that it has robbed you of, it brings you back into wholeness. Wholeness. It, it looks like as if you never had the sickness before. You go and say, you, you have to prove to people, I had this sickness because here's, here's the document. Because there's no trace of that sickness in your body. That's, that's why Paul says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the power of God to those who are being saved. Power of God. Power of God. Amen. So moving your consciousness from pain into the consciousness to see Jesus. Jesus. Amen. It is just about awareness. Bringing your awareness. You know, otherwise, let me say it like this. The easiest way to stay depressed is to become constantly self-aware. The more self-aware you become, I don't have this, oh, I don't have this also, oh, I don't have this. The more conscious you become of who you are, you can easily get depressed because you're going inward. Self, 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 self. But our, our gospel is not about seeing who you are in the flesh. The gospel is to see who you are in Christ. So our identity comes from, if you see Jesus, you know who you are. You see Jesus, you know who you are. Without Jesus, you and me, we have no idea who we are. We have no idea. You want to know who you are? See Jesus. Just like Jesus is, so are we in this world. Just like Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, so are we in this world. Amen? So I give you one thing. Move your consciousness from pain into seeing on Jesus on the cross. The other simple way to receive healing which almost sounds ridiculous the other simple way to receive healing is by eating. How did Adam sin? By eating. How did Jesus redeem you? By eating. John chapter 6 let me show you that verse. Otherwise, it's too much. John chapter 6, verse 53. Are you with me? 6, verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, see the next verse, verse 55. Let's skip 54, see 55. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Adam, he ate from that tree and he was separated from God. We eat from the flesh of Jesus and we are united with God. Just as Adam sinned by eating, you are restored back to God by eating. Let me show you something. 
Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26 verse 26. Now as they were eating, this is the last supper, okay? Last supper. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. So when he took the bread, when he broke it, he said, this is my body. Look, look at this very carefully. He did not say, this is symbolizing my body. What did he say? This is my body. Okay, I'm being, not trying to be politically correct. This, that the body that, you know, we, we partake of, the bread that we partake of is the body of Jesus. It is not just symbolizing the body of Jesus. It is the body of Jesus. And then what does he say? And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The bread is the body. The drink is the blood. And Jesus said, if you partake from my flesh and if you drink of my blood, you will have life. You will have life. I'll show you one more. First Corinthians chapter 11. This is Paul's revelation. First Corinthians 11 verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me. Now if you are finding difficulty in just meditating on what Jesus has done on the cross, you take communion. Because why do we take communion? We do this in remembrance of Jesus. And then he said, in the same way also, he took the cup after supper and saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often. Do this as, that's the key. I want to give you that key. Do this as often. Do this as often. In fact, Acts says, Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says that whenever the disciples met, they met daily, one. Whenever they met, they had communion every time. Why did they do communion? If it was just symbolic of the cross, if it was just, oh, it was just, a, you know, it's just symbols and signs. If it is just that, why did they do it every single time? Because it is more than that. There is life when you partake from the blood and body of Jesus. There is life. There's actual life that comes from the revelation. So just as Adam sinned by eating, you can experience union by eating. Amen? Now, next he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the blood, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Next verse. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, you should underline that, unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now here's the thing. There's a wrong 
there's slightly misunderstood and a wrong teaching in the church where it puts so much emphasis on the communion which is communion is sacred communion is holy but puts so much emphasis that it almost disqualifies you from having communion because of this phrase which says if you drink and eat in an unworthy manner first of all it does not talk about your unworthiness it talks about the manner in which you take unworthily because if anybody is if anybody has to become worthy to partake from the communion then none of us are worthy it's not talking about your unworthiness it's talking about the way you take it should be worthy there's a particular way that you take it and that should be worthily so it's not talking about your unworthiness it's talking about the manner in which you take it and then the verse that says examine yourself so what we do in church is you know everybody close your eyes examine yourself if there is any sin in your life please don't partake from the communion can i tell you jesus died for that sin your sin has qualified you to partake from that communion we don't recognize this we don't realize this examine himself read read what it says later it says let a person examine himself and eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body that's the key my friends if you examine yourself but you don't discern the body that's how you drink and eat unworthily what does it mean what's the body of jesus the body of jesus that is on the cross huh that is beaten bruised whipped crushed if you while examining yourself if your consciousness is not moving to the to the finished work of christ then when you're partaking of it is unworthy because you don't understand what you're having that's unworthy manner but if you recognize i am a you know i am struggling through this sin i have these issues in my life i am going through mental oppression depression but see the body i discern the body that was wounded that was beaten that was crushed that was pierced for my sake that's worthy that's worthy manner you examine yourself to discern the body to discern the body if you could do that then you all including me can partake from the communion the other thing about discerning the body is the body is also the church how did god create eve adam had to be put to deep sleep and god took a rib from his side and eve came out of him and when eve came out of him the first thing that adam said was bone of my bone flesh of my flesh you are mine and you shall be called woman when jesus was dying on the cross when he had died a soldier came and pierced his sides and water and blood came out of him you know why why that happened because that's how God created the church out of his side. We are the body. Amen. So just as we discern the body of Jesus on the cross, as you partake, we also discern this body. That in spite of all our imperfections, in spite of all the issues that we have with each other, oh man, we are the body of Jesus. 
That's when John chapter, first John 4.20 says, John says, if you hate your brother, but you say that you love God, if you hate your brother whom you see with your eyes and you say that you love God whom you have not seen, you are living in death. You are lying. You're a liar. You're a liar. So just as much as you discern the body of Jesus that was beaten, whipped, crushed, you don't forget that this is the body of Jesus. So if there is any unforgiveness that you have towards your brother, you let it go. Why? Because this is the body of Jesus. Everything that has affected you, Jesus says, put it on my tab. That person, that person that has hurt you, put it on my tab. I have taken that thing upon myself on the cross. So let go. Discerning the body. You have to understand this. First Corinthians, the, the context, the reason why Paul even talks about communion is because there was an issue that was happening in the church. And the issue was there were some people who would just come and finish all the communion. So there were some who did not get communion. That is the issue that Paul is addressing. And Paul is saying communion is not your party time food that you just come and eat. Don't you have, don't you have homes where you can eat? When you take communion, take it in a worthy manner so that everybody gets to partake. That as you partake from it, examine yourself, discern the body and also discern what Jesus has done. This is the body. Am I making sense? So as much as Adam sinned by eating, you can eat your way into wholeness. That's, that's, by the way, Joseph Prince's book, Eat Your Way Into Wholeness. Uh, but I want to tell you, communion is not just symbolic. It is, it is a powerful thing that happens in our lives. If you are a family, you should take communion every day. Just as you spend time with the Lord, you have your secret time with the Lord, take communion every day so that you can experience the life and healing and wholeness of Jesus in your life. Because as you're taking communion, you're saying, Lord, I, I take communion not because I am something good or I am something great. It's because I put my confidence in what you have done. It's not about me. I put my confidence in what you have done. I want to challenge you. You might not, you know, you, you might be like, Pastor Sam, does that mean that I will not have any sickness at all? I, I don't know, but I, I know this for sure, then the sickness will reduce. Your problems will reduce because your consciousness is moving from yourself, from your problems, from your sickness, from your sin. Your consciousness is moving towards Christ, towards how great God is, towards what Jesus has done on the cross. Now, here's the thing. If you can't understand what Jesus has done on the cross, you, can, you cannot comprehend what he did through the resurrection. Am I making sense? If you don't understand what Jesus has done on the cross, you might know the entire theology of ruling and reigning, sonship and faith and all of that. The power of resurrection starts to activate when you understand the cross. The message of the cross. Message of the cross. What is it about the cross? Here's the thing. The cross tells us it is not about you. It's not about what you have done. It's about Jesus and what he has done. When you understand that, then you can move in sonship. Then you can move in ruling and reigning and activating your faith and you know, 
fighting demons and oppressing what not but if you don't understand the simple message of the cross right you will be fighting demons one day the other day you you are the demon message of the cross it's so powerful message of the cross is step 1 to us being a new creation amen what is the message of the cross it is not about anything that you and me have done we have completely received it by grace none of us prayed enough for jesus to die none of us fasted enough for jesus to die is prayer and fasting important absolutely yes but it's after the message of the cross if you can understand the message of the cross my goodness you experience healing wholeness righteousness becomes your portion amen are you good to go yeah when the israelites they were getting out of egypt the last plague was was the plague of the firstborns being killed the angel of death came in the night and was killing all the firstborns but for the israelites to be protected the instruction that came through moses was every family should sit inside the house and they should you know cook a lamb and the blood of the lamb should be put on the doorpost so when the angel of the angel of death sees the door sees the blood on the doorpost it does not attack it leaves the blood becomes your protection and the family that is inside the instruction was you should eat the roasted meat so the lamb was supposed to be roasted and you should eat it you should finish it if you're not able to finish it don't throw it just completely burn the lamb do you know that lamb is a symbol is is a is a typology of jesus because it is his blood that provides the security of our salvation and it is while eating that we find health now the bible says in psalms 105 verse 37 the bible says that when these israelites left egypt they were millionaires they had gold and silver and none of them were feeble now i understand gold and silver because the egyptians gave them gold and silver but how were these slave people who worked their backs off how were they not feeble how were they not weak the bible says none of them were weak you know why because they partook from the lamb partook from the lamb that's what we have that's what god has given to us through the communion But Jesus says in John 6. Do you know how many times Jesus says if you eat my flesh drink my blood you shall have life? I don't know but it's more than 5 times. A lot. In fact, it is one of those sermons where the attendance of Jesus church which was 5000 dropped down to 12. I mean, that's a crazy sermon, right? You preach one sermon one day it's 5000 after that sermon is just 12 people that's crazy but it's that one sermon jesus preached with his entire being why because he knows that it's the truth if you partake of my flesh drink of my blood you shall have life you shall have life this is true food true drink and i'm and i'm asking you whenever these 
these disciples after Jesus left whenever they met if they spent time to partake from the bread and the drink not just as a ritual because they believed in what it releases if they if they truly believed in the power that it releases how much more should we do it how much more we're not just doing it just for the sake of doing it there is a power of god that is being released as you partake from it there's a power of god that is being released amen we're going to take communion right now but even as we take communion i want i want you to just close your eyes like the bible says examine yourself examine yourself and discern the body of jesus that was wounded that was pierced that was crushed that was beaten for our sake his body was beaten for our sake his body was crushed for our sake so that you and me could have peace wholeness and healing complete peace complete wholeness and complete life as we partake from this I want you to take a moment and just say in your own words thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus for your sacrifice. I was I I was completely disqualified to partake from this but your grace has made me qualify. The very sin that the devil brings in your life to disqualify you from the table is the very reason what qualifies you for the table. it is for that very sin it is for that very sickness it is for that very issue that you should partake from the table because the bread is the body the elements are are going to be passed right now and i want you to take those elements and even before we take it just just declare with your own mouth thank you jesus thank you jesus i haven't received this out of my merit but i have received this out of grace your grace your grace your grace what can wash away my sin nothing but the blood of jesus What can make me whole again nothing but the blood of Jesus what can wash away my sin nothing but the blood of Jesus what can make me whole again nothing but the blood of Jesus precious is the flow that makes me white as snow no other for i know nothing but the blood of jesus oh precious is the flow that makes me white as snow no for i know nothing but the blood of jesus i want to declare this over your life if there's a negative report that you're holding on to declare this that the blood of jesus has the power to change that report i declare in your life positive medical reports 
positive reports from your job application positive reports from the admissions that you're seeking positive reports those yes, negative Jeff. reports are going to change unusual doors of favors are going to open for your life unusual doors of favor is happening it is happening because it is not because of our merit it's because of the merit of jesus jesus our high priest jesus my sacrifice jesus 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 oh jesus has qualified us jesus has qualified us for this favor thank you jesus thank you jesus if there's somebody over here who is struggling with sickness or you know somebody in your family who is struggling with sickness you can stand proxy for them even as we declare and proclaim the lord's death we can stand proxy for those who are sick just take the bread in your hands jesus said this is my body which was given for you this is the body that was wounded that was pierced that was crushed that was beaten so that we can have peace well-being and life just by the simple act of eating from this bread we are declaring that we believe in what god has done on the cross through jesus let's partake Take the cup in your hands. Jesus said, "This is my blood, a new covenant that I that I institute with you. The blood of Jesus instituted a new covenant and secured our salvation once and for all." My friends, can I tell you? Don't be insecure of your salvation, because the blood of Jesus has secured it once and for all. The blood of Jesus has secured this once and for all. The Bible says the blood speaks better words than the words of Abel. Abel spoke words of condemnation. Abel spoke words of judgment. The blood of Jesus speaks words of affirmation. Words that you are accepted in the beloved, that there is no condemnation, that there is no separation, that you have been redeemed from sin, that the forgiveness of sins has happened because of this blood. The blood of Jesus is better than the blood of bulls and goats because it is not an annual reminder of our sins it is a reminder of my righteousness of our righteousness that we have in Jesus blood of Jesus blood of Jesus blood of Jesus I speak right now any genetic disorders that you have through your blood through the bloodline it stops now it stops in this generation we believe that it stops in this generation it will not be carried forward because the blood of jesus not only forgives our sins cleanses us purifies us heals us let's partake god bless you guys are you excited receive the word yes come on let's receive the benediction may the love of the father and the grace of our lord jesus christ and the sweet communion of the holy spirit be with us now and forever and everybody said amen amen, amen.